Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Money and me on your money only on Money FM 89.3. I'm Michelle Martin. Good morning. How do real investors read the market? Today I've invited Chief Strategy Officer at Flow to help me understand market movements. Arun Pai joining us live. Bitcoin's price is tackling $12,000. Where's it heading to next? Berkshire Hathaway reporting a strong stock buyback of 5.1 billion US dollars worth of stock in May and June. Berkshire Hathaway stock gaining some 1% following the announcement. Is it still a good buy? Russian President Vladimir Putin suggesting Russia's become the first country to grant regulatory approval of a COVID-19 vaccine. If it's won the uh, vaccine race, what does this mean for the rest of us? Implications of this news. We'll take a look at Tesla's shares surging on the promise of a 5 for one stock split. First up, we'll say good morning to Arun. How are you, Arun? I'm very good, Michelle. Thank you once again for having me. Always a thrill for us to see how you think or hear how you think. Now, U.S. equities have recovered almost all their losses from earlier in the year, Arun. The S&P 500 briefly hit a new high overnight before closing a bit shy of that mark. Um, investors not seeming to care. We're in the midst of a, a pandemic and profit declines <laughs> and trade tensions. Uh, one analyst that I was reading this morning called it cognitive dissonance. What's happening? It's truly amazing, though, I have to say. Like, just the last couple of days, we've seen when economies open up once again, then the numbers start spiking, which leads to, uh, you know, the town councils or the mayor or the president or prime minister of the country having to implement lockdowns once again. Europe is in a bit of shambles the last couple of days with uh, rising numbers in Spain, Italy, France, Germany, you name it. After 100 days, uh, you know, of New Zealand not having a single case, Auckland is now under lockdown. India, Indonesia, Philippines are closer to home, like quite a few horror stories over there, too. So it's a very strange situation where uh, we are smack in the middle of the pandemic. We had a little bit of green shoots, I would say, a month or two months ago, purely in terms of the COVID situation. But now we've seen how like, like it, this spreads like wildfire. But on the other hand, we have this uh, you know, unlimited amounts of liquidity basically being dished out by central banks across the world. And this concept of uh, FOMO by retail investors. So we're having these two opposing tugs of war that's just leading to, with the latter obviously winning out right now, which is just leading to higher and higher uh, asset values in terms of equity prices going through the roof. And even though earnings are coming to a crashing halt, especially in industries that are dramatically affected by this COVID situation, it doesn't seem to make a difference right now because there's just so much liquidity sloshing around. Well, thank you for that brief primer. Uh, help us understand what's happening with Bitcoin. It's uh, pushed through 12,000 US dollars for the second time this month. Key question, will it hold? The price of Bitcoin <laughs> trading at 15,921 Singapore dollars. What do you think? So as a concept, Bitcoin is similar to gold in some regards, right? Like it's not actually usable in the real economy, but you can try to portray it as a store of value. The biggest issue I have with uh, Bitcoin is that it's not gone through the test of time, right, of 3,000 years, which kind of which gold has. So it's amazing to see uh, an instrument that's supposed to be a store of va- a storage value 
that goes up and down or swings up and down like 10 20% in a day and uh so, so that's for taking a step back that that's like what is kind of weird to me with this underlying but in the flip side though you know again this the same reasons why gold is spiking up is half the reason why bitcoin is interest rates are basically zero so your carrying cost is negligible as compared to you know depositing that same amount of money in say a currency and thereby earning an interest rate uh there's the in- increase of ease of accessibility is now definitely happening with a lot more exchanges including back home over here in singapore you're getting a lot more bitcoin exchanges that are being licensed by the regulator thereby leading investors to feel a little bit more secure in maybe not in the underlying value of it but at least being able to enter and exit your positions then obviously given the rapid increase in liquidity something that we've been talking about a lot uh in recent past uh there is going to be a certain distrust in your local government whether your specific currency might be devalued far too much thereby leading you know what's the source of value okay let me put some money into bitcoin and lastly most importantly is again fomo right like you have a number of investors who potentially missed out on that initial rally i think it went up to like 20 21000 crashed all the way down to 6 5 6000 they've seen this little rally that takes place like doubling of uh the bitcoin's price mm. and now they're like they don't want to miss this other rally again and so you're seeing a whole host of retail investors piling back into bitcoin that makes a lot of sense uh, just on that correlation with gold so if we've seen gold finally calming down this week after that wild ride in part because of the increase in bond yields do we expect to see a shift in in bitcoin similarly tracking that <laughs> So it's interesting I think there might be a like a, a decent percentage of investors who invest into bitcoin thinking that way but I think I think it's still like the wild wild west right now in that market right where you have a number of speculators a couple of bitcoin whales trying to like squeeze the market in either way so while I think you know on a much bigger picture aspect uh it's they're trying to like convey this as digital gold uh to show that this might be a lot easier for investors to park their money in i think in the short term and by short term i can i i mean anywhere from like you know 6 months up to like a couple of years even mm. it price is just going to be like swung around because of a very few large market participants which doesn't uh, occur in the gold market because it's a much more mature market so i think that's where the difference lies uh in the long run if uh you know this this underlying can become a lot more credible in nature and not just having forks every you know couple of months thereby doubling the count of the underlying bitcoin instrument uh you know maybe there will be some value attached to this by investors in the long run do you have a position in bitcoin are you at all interested in crypto <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. I'm, I'm and I'm sure we'll talk about this with uh, you know the Berkshire Hathaway thing, but uh, Charlie Munger called this like rat poison squared because the the, the you know when you, when in the financial market if you make money way too quickly hmm. without genuinely providing a value to society, then questions have to be asked whether this is just pure uh, speculation or whether there's some true underlying value to this. Right, like the, comparing this to like the tulip mania back in the 1800s in uh, you know uh, Holland. So I don't know. My personal take is it's it's great fun to watch as a trader or as a participant in the market. I personally would not put my money in here. I don't know that whole take on value and making money. Doesn't that go against the whole Robin Hood playbook? 
<laughs> it does. And, uh, and, you know, we can see that in the form of Berkshire Hathaway's share price that's like uh, uh, not tracking not the market at all for the past 15 years. So, yeah, it's a different paradigm of uh, markets. Yeah, days. a whole younger generation of investors coming in with a different playbook. Okay, so let's talk about Berkshire Hathaway. The stock rose after it announced it purchased a record amount of its own equity in the second quarter. So Warren Buffett, chairman and CEO, saying that Berkshire Hathaway had repurchased $5.1 billion worth of stock in May and June. Uh, Berkshire's Class B stock gained 1% yesterday. No, it was two days ago, the first day of trading following the buyback. Uh, what do you think this buyback means for Berkshire Hathaway? Is it still a, a good stock to buy? So it's interesting because evidently with their, I think it's like close to $150 billion worth of cash that's lying on their balance sheet. They've not been able to find instruments or asset classes to park their money. In fact, for the first time uh, this last quarter, they net sold $12.8 billion worth of equity. Now, off that, we talked about this uh, a couple of months back where he sold something like six to seven billion dollars worth of uh, airplane stock. Mm. And that was, you know, that rattled the airline market quite a bit, the airline industry quite a bit, at least in terms of share prices. But it's interesting to see how he's taken money off the table from other even like publicly traded instruments. Mm -hmm. And he's actually the only other avenue where he saw value is his own shares. Even though those shares have like lagged the S&P market by a fair amount, not just this year, uh, but for the last, I would say, like 10 to 15 years, which is no surprise given the fact that technology played a very large part in the rally in share in the underlying share price in un, in the underlying market. And as we all know, you know, Warren Buffett's quite averse to seeing technology stocks as a source of value, other than Apple, of course, where he has like a ginormous position in it. So from the perspective of uh, true value in the underlying share price, I think they have so many really strong competitive modes of companies that fall within this ecosystem. The issue, though, is uh, not many of them, if any of them other than the Apple publicly traded stock, is uh, in technology, and hence it's lagging the market substantially. For an investor who is prudent, mm -hmm. uh, who wants to, who still believes in the value investing principle, which has become very difficult with the Robin Hood investors mm -hmm. uh, in this day and age, it's a fortress of value. They have tremendous amounts of capital to deploy in case the markets do correct, especially during these uncertain times. The brand names within the company are phenomenal. And at least hopefully for the next, I don't know, three to 10 years, you have one of the best allocator of capital the world has ever seen. So from that perspective, I personally think it's a really good source of value. Rather than buying the S&P 500 index ETF, I would think Berkshire Hathaway stock might be a better option. I just love that phrase, a fortress of value. It's a phrase I want to cuddle and go to sleep with at night. <laughs> Wonderful. Hey, listen, do you think Berkshire's shares uh, look continue to look inexpensive? They do. Uh, like in terms of PE multiples, in terms of price to book, uh, you know, it's trading at like about 1.3 price to book. Uh, the share prices have rallied. I think it obviously looked a lot, a little bit more attractive back in June, July when it was trading at about $180. This is Berkshire B shares. 
uh, if any of your viewers uh, or listeners have over like $300,000 to invest into Berkshire, a single Berkshire A stock, mm-hmm. that's a different story altogether. Mm-hmm. But I think for more retail investors, uh, Berkshire B, which tracks Berkshire A share prices, you know, anything under $200, I'm definitely a long-term buy. All right. Now let's move on now to um, news that had us all talking yesterday in the morning. Russian President Vladimir Putin saying Russia's become the first country in the world to grant regulatory approval to a COVID-19 vaccine after less than two months of human testing. He said he's tested the vaccine on his daughter. We don't know if he likes his daughter though, right? (laughs) (laughs) What do you think of the news? I don't know, Michelle. (laughs) Let's be assured I'm not going to standing in line uh, waiting to get a Russian vaccine. So my personal take is, you know, there was a little bit of a knee-jerk reaction in the market. Uh, Just purely, maybe not on the basis that the the Russian vaccine is going to be uh, mass-produced and you'll have 6 billion uh, vials of that, but in terms of uh, how quickly the overall space, keeping the Russian vaccine aside, the overall space with uh, the green shoots that can be found in a number of companies in the U.S., the U.K., and even at home, right? The Duke and U.S. Uh, uh, have yes. started started home, home trials, like uh, human trials. Mm. So it's interesting. Uh, so from that perspective, I think uh, the markets are realizing that uh, when you have, you know, a large majority of the extremely smart human population paying a lot of attention into this to ensure uh, you know, that we can get a vaccine pretty quickly, it's great to see it from that aspect. But the, my bigger concern is what is the next step, right? Because we know what the governments, what the central banks have done in the past three, four months to try and ensure that the world doesn't come to a screeching halt. The problem is what's going to happen or for that matter, how is this punch bowl going to take going to be taken away? And it kind of like takes me back to this really interesting story I was reading about the cobra effect, mm. where in my hometown in Delhi, apparently back in the day, it had a massive issue with a lot of cobras running around or you know uh, crawling around on the streets. So they got a bunch of snake charmers, paid them a lot of money, and tried to convince them through the the monetary aspect Mm -hmm. of capturing these cobras. And they gave them so much incentive that these uh, snake charmers actually started, uh, you know, having snake farms themselves, releasing it out in the market so that they can get paid to capture those cobras. Then what happened is the government realized this and they were like, oh my God, this is not good. We are actually incentivizing them to do this or misincentivizing them. They pulled that punch bowl away. And then what happened is the snake charmers were like, oh God, I'm not going to get any money for this. They just released all the cobras they had in the snake farm and thereby leading the city to actually have more cobras than on day one. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So coming back to the story for today, you know, what happens now? Like, has this cure potentially going to lead the economy into a much worse situation, purely from an economic perspective, right? I'm not even touching on the human aspect, which is obviously priceless, but from a pure economic perspective, what is going to be the aftermath of releasing so much liquidity into the markets and how are they going to try and control that? That is something that is going to be, you know, that all investors are going to be or should be extremely concerned about for the next five to 10 years.
Wow, what a wonderful analogy that was, really. And I'm going to have to read up about Delhi's cobra problems. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about Tesla's stock split. Uh, shares of Tesla Inc. surged more than 7% in the extended session uh, Tuesday after the carmaker approved a 5.1 split for the company's stock. Everybody going on saying nothing's changed, uh, but how how is this creating... It's not creating value. How is it creating wealth, the stock split? It's technically, by any financial means, it should not. But I mean, honestly, this is a company that's just shy of a $300 billion market cap, producing like 100 the cars that Toyota, Ford, GM does. But yet, uh, it's a market cap. It has more of a market cap than all of these other car companies, excluding Volkswagen combined. So, you know, it's a very weird situation in the financial markets right now. Coming back, like in terms of just a pure stock split, all that's going to happen is like, so market capitalization of the company, which is the value of the company, is nothing but the number of shares outstanding times the price. When you do a stock split, all you're doing is you're increasing the number of shares outstanding, but whatever proportion you increase that number of shares outstanding, Mm -hmm. the price should decrease accordingly. Hence, the multiplication of those two numbers should lead to the exact same share price. I think one of the big reasons why the share price popped today, though, or yesterday, mm-hmm. uh, on the back of this news is, you know, the share price has gone up to like close to 1600 uh, I think it ended at like $1,565 last night. Uh, now, with the share price split, uh, you know, when the share price was like sub $500 or sub $300 on the back of this news, mm-hmm. uh, I think August 31st, uh, you will have access or potentially retail investors who have smaller amounts of capital to deploy mm-hmm. will have more access to buying the shares. So I think from that perspective, uh, you know, there was an initial rally knowing fully well that come August 31st, which is when I believe the uh, stock split will take place, it can have a lot more Robinhood investors and hence the share price rally. Indeed. So it's, yeah. Very so more switch. affordable, and you are right. It is currently trading thousand five hundred fifty-five US dollars, um, and that's going to change August twenty-first. But what w- would I, as an investor, need to consider before buying into this share simply because it's more affordable? What are the other factors I need to consider? Right. So, and this is something that you know cannot be stressed enough. Like the actual underlying share price doesn't mean what the value of the company is. The fact that Tesla is trading at fifteen sixty-five right now or 300 on August 22nd, mm. it, it makes no difference because in terms of the market capitalization of the company, it remains the same. So another example is Berkshire Hathaway share price A mm. is trading at like something like $300,000 or whatever. That doesn't mean the company is more valuable than say a Google or a Microsoft or an Amazon whose share price is purely like Amazon is like $3,100. But Amazon's market cap is something like three or four times the multiple of uh, Berkshire Hathaway. So just the share price underlying, the the underlying share price makes no difference to the value of the company. It's Mm -hmm. the share price times the number of shares outstanding. Now coming back to Tesla, the fact that it's trading at 1565 or the fact that it'll trade at like $300 or whatever come August 22nd, contingent to nothing else changing. My personal take is the share price is ridiculously overvalued. Mm. So, but, uh, you know, that's for each investor to dictate by themselves. In terms of any metric, 
uh, price to earnings, uh, future price to earnings, even over the next couple of years. It, it can't, nothing can justify the underlying value, according to me, unless there is like this unbelievable exponential growth that continues in the share price, in the underlying business, and assuming that no competition can come up with any kind of a decent electric car in this space, which, as we've seen in the, over the past two to three months, is turning out to be quite improbable. Like Volvo's come up with something really good, as is Volkswagen, uh, BMW, Mercedes, etc. So for my personal basis, having been burnt previously trying to short the stock, I personally am staying away from it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, the shift has done phenomenally well of late. So kudos to people who are believing in the Elon Musk story. And we'll check in with you August 22nd when its high-flying stock soars again, possibly. <laughs> Highly, <laughs> nothing is going to surprise me with Tesla anymore, Michelle. That much I can promise you, so. <laughs> All right, let's, let's switch gears and talk about uh, local stock iFast. Now, you might have heard Singapore's GDP uh, for the April to June quarter, dismal, shrank 13.2% on the year. Singapore's revised its economic growth projection to minus 7 to minus 5%. But when it comes to bright spots, uh, the Ministry of Trade and Industry is saying finance, insurance, information and communication sectors are the sectors projected to expand this year. So if you look at the finance sector... Uh, if you look at iFast, uh, um, what what do you make of of the company? How do you ex- uh, and what do you think of its shares? It's currently trading up one point eight percent at two dollars thirty Singapore two thirty Singapore dollars. So they've had a phenomenal run, right? Like I think from the lows of post COVID, where if I'm not mistaken, I think the share price was trading at like seventy five cents. It's evidently quadrupled, uh, slightly less than or tripled from that low. A uh, couple of factors that have really boosted their share price. Uh, one, obviously, being the fact that uh, their name was one of the contenders of getting a digital bank license in Singapore. Yeah. And off late, I think the past couple of days, even the SGX asked them about this or uh, as to what the like what was the reason for the recent share price increase. And they mentioned that it's potentially because of Hong Kong digitalizing the pension system. Uh, And they could be one of the contenders there. Obviously, they're not able to disclose that information because it's still an ongoing uh, project that's... uh, Currently, there are like potential discussions that are taking place with the Hong Hong Kong pension authorities and themselves. So from a story perspective, they've done phenomenally well. And I can see why these huge tailwinds are leading to the share price increase. But how much of that is speculation versus value is a big question mark. Their market cap is currently, I think, just about over 600 million Singapore dollars. They just announced their first half net profit was only about $8, billion, $8 million. So in terms of pure earnings, as, as at present, it's uh, you know, quite uh, overvalued inflated stock. Their uh, assets under advisory is quite substantial at $11 billion. And I think the whole question is going to be, how are they able to monetize those assets a lot more in this day and age where you have a number of competition or competitors that are basically just providing zero-cost brokerage, uh, zero-fee advice. I think Pingan released a couple of features in Hong Kong recently, and basically everything was given free of cost for the next two to three months. So, uh, you know, $600 million market cap, while obviously is quite substantial, 
as compared to the larger gorillas in the room, it's minute. So how do you compete against these larger, deeper pocket competitors who are happy to provide zero cost services purely in the interest of gaining more customers? And I think that's going to be something that we'll see materialize in the wealth management industry, in the brokerage industry over the next couple of years. Always terrific speaking with you. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, Arun. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me, Michelle. Helping us understand how investors read the world. Arun Pai, Chief Strategy Officer at Flow, joining me this morning in Money and Me. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.